Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Bible reading is from Hebrews 11, 8 to 16. At the end of the reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Please, let's respond by saying, thanks be to God. Hebrews 11, 8 to 16. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, when she was, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from, one, from this one man, and he as good as dead came descendants as numerous as, the, as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand in the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive these things promised. They only saw them from a distance and welcomed them. Sorry, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Thank you for the reading, Domo. And um, special welcome to you if you're here for the first time or you've not been here in a while. We're so happy to have you join us. Actually, but you join us at a funny time because we're just coming to the end of a particular sermon series. And in that sermon series, we've been looking at what it means to love Lagos. Um, as a church, we, we do not believe that we're called only for individuals. It's important. Our personal renewal is important. We don't also just believe that we're called for our community. Again, that's really important. The we is also important. But we also believe that we are called for those outside us, especially the place that we, are, we call our home, the city that we call our home, which is Lagos. And so one of our values is to love Lagos. And so that's why we've been doing this series. This is the sixth and the final sermon in that series. And I have to say, just even going into the series, I went in with a bit of trepidation that hasn't ended because I do think that it's a very ambitious series, especially in light of many of the things that have been going on um, um, you know, in our country and in the city, the number of people living, the amount of frustrations that people face going through this uh, city. And so I'm just thinking about it. You know, I was thinking about introduction. I really didn't have any introduction, any clever thing. I was just thinking about how you would sum up 
the entire series. So we've looked at certain things like why God loves Lagos and therefore why we should love Lagos. We looked at how we make idols through Lagos, which is, this is not how you should love Lagos. We've also looked at why you should remain in Lagos while a lot of people are leaving Lagos. We've also looked at how you should remain in Lagos. That is the kind of mindset that we have. And then finally, how we should transform Lagos. That was last week. And I think in some people's minds, it will be something like this. I've heard all of that. It sounds nice. But are any of these things possible? Is it really possible? For some of you, you're even more cynical. You're like, great series. Now, I hope the next one is set in reality. <laughs> I think it really depends on how we see things. I think if we are looking at things from a strictly human perspective, I agree with you. But if we're looking from a Christian perspective, and we've been very, very clear that we wanted to say this thing about loving Lagos is coming from a uniquely Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective. And I think if we look at it from that biblical perspective, from a Christian worldview, I think it is possible. But in closing this series, I do think that it requires a certain attitude from us. At the end of everything that we've said, there's a certain attitude that we need to exercise, and I think that attitude is a life of faith. You see, this chapter that Delmo read from Hebrews 11 is very famous because really it's a chapter all about faith. Faith is being discussed. And what they do is that, what the writer did is that he took on certain Old Testament personalities and he put them up as examples of faith that the readers who are going through some persecution, the readers should emulate. Uh, central to those Old Testament um, um, uh, personalities is the person of Abraham. He gets the longest amount of consideration here. Now, we don't go through everything that um, it says about Abraham here, so we just take about half of it. But even in that half, the, 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 the two words, by faith, occurs four times. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. Verse 9, by faith, 11, and by faith, 13, still living by faith. This is how Abraham lived. And I do think, as we want to go into this city, as we want to live in this city, this is the only kind of life we can adopt, to live by faith. But of course, if you say that, you know, we have to break that down. What does that actually mean? So what we're going to learn today, or we'll see today, is how Abraham lived by faith for a God-sized and a kingdom-shaped purpose, even though he did not realize it in his lifetime. Ironically, though, we can only renew this city in God's way when we fix our eyes on another city beyond it. So let's get into this um, sermon. We called it Look Beyond Lagos. And it's going to go under three titles. One, A Purpose Beyond Your Life. Three subtitles. The three of you there, you should be punished. I don't know why you're laughing. What mistake did I make? You look done. No. What did I say? All right, let's scratch this whole part of the, of the recording. A purpose beyond your life, an identity beyond this life, a city for the afterlife. 
a purpose beyond your life, an identity beyond this life, and a city for the afterlife. All right, so let's begin. If I asked you, what is your purpose in life, what would you say? I mean, your overall purpose in life. Do you have one? Have you thought of it? Don't just say it's to live for God. Because all of you that say that, you're not actually doing it. Now, one thing I want to push to us is that we do, this whole call to see Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally renewed should be a God-sized and a kingdom-shaped purpose. That is, what is the quantity or the size of your purpose, and what is the quality of it? How big is your vision, but how godly is it? Now, look at Abraham, for instance. In verse 8 to 9, listen to what he says. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised, in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were with him, who were, who were heirs with him of the same promise. You see, this summarizes the kind of life that Abraham was living. What kind of life was it? He was a nomad. He didn't really live in one place. He was moving about with his family, living in tents. Why? Why does somebody just get up and start moving all around? Someone who was a well-to-do guy eventually became richer. Why is he just moving around with his son and then with his grandson as well? It was because Abraham had a purpose. There was a purpose that was driving him to live a specific type of life. But this was no ordinary purpose. His purpose was not just to be grazing his cattle up and about. No, it was because Abraham believed God had promised and proposed him to do certain things. God had made a promise to Abraham and therefore had proposed him to do certain things. Now, some of these promises we can find in Genesis 12, Genesis 22, and Genesis 17. Let's look at some of them. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country. So that was the go. Why? For your people and your father's household to the land. So God said, you need to go somewhere. Abraham, what's your life going to be about? Well, it's about going to a particular place for now. Now, what is going to happen I will surely bless you and make your descendants as, the, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the, sit, of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Shall we continue? I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now, if you look at that, you probably just think, well, God wanted to give Abraham um, a, a, a prime uh, piece of estate, and then he was going to give him children. Oh, but he was also going to give him kings. If you summarize everything, the context in which God gave Abraham these promises was a larger context, and which was this, that there were nations all around the world, and all the nations all around the world were under a curse because everyone was rebelling against God. And God saw that if I have to allow this thing to continue, just like I did with Noah, I would destroy everyone. 
because of the curse and because of people's rebellion, they eventually are going to fall under my judgment. So, in order for God to change and reverse that, he called Abraham. In other words, Abraham's purpose and life was he understood that God had called him and then the offspring that he was going to have, he was going to use him to undo the curse that was over the entire world. Abraham's life's purpose for him and his descendants was nothing less than the salvation of the world. What's your purpose? It can't be compared to that. That was a grand purpose. It was a huge purpose. And two things about it. Think about it first. With, if Abraham had saved up all his money, if Abraham had gone to all the best schools, if Abraham had listened to all the best inspirational speakers, if Abraham had gone to all the best strategic and policy learning institutes, could Abraham achieve that on his own? What I mean by that, I mean the salvation of the world. Could Abraham, if God had said, Abraham, you are going to live for a thousand years, could he have done it on his own? He could never. He could never achieve it in his lifetime. You know why? Because this vision was a God-sized vision. It wasn't a human-sized vision. The second thing about it is, it was God, Abraham's uh, uh, living and purpose was fitted into the wider purpose of God's salvation or kingdom plan. Remember, as I said, to restore the world under his, God's own dominion. In verse, 11, in verse 10, he says that God himself was going to be the architect and the builder of what he had called Abraham to inherit. In other words, because it had to fit in with God's plan, his vision, we've seen the size, it was God's size, but his vision was also kingdom-shaped or kingdom-oriented. Those two things. His vision was God-sized, but it was also kingdom-shaped. So let me come back to our question. What is your own purpose? Your overall life's purpose? I want to ask you two questions. As you think about that purpose, is it something that can be achieved in your lifetime? If when you envision why, what I want to exist for, is it something that you think can be envisioned, can be achieved in your lifetime? If your answer is yes, then congratulations. Can I suggest that your purpose is self-sized? Because you can achieve it in your lifetime. And second question, is it something that revolves and centers around, primarily revolves and centers around bettering yourself and your immediate family? So is it, am I trying to achieve a certain status, a certain purpose? And don't say whether you are seeing it as, you know, some people, we try to excuse ourselves from those who um, we disagree against by using English to cover it. So you can say, oh, you know, some people, if you go to certain churches, they only talk about money, 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 money. You know, just the only difference between you and them is that they are crass, and then you are more articulate. But we're all trying to fight for the money. So I'm asking you that question. Your own vision, is it centered? Think. Remove all the articulation that you've been able to um, 
um, achieve over all your lifetime, whether it's your normal education or your spiritual education, is your purpose for living centered around just bettering you and your family? If your answer is yes, congratulations, because your purpose is self-shaped. So we are living a self-sized and self-shaped vision. And living for a self-sized and self-shaped purpose ultimately sums up to a disappointing self-centered existence. Not bad. But can I say you were made for more? We were made for more than just ourselves. We were made for more than just achieving something that we can achieve in this lifetime, something that we can sit back and fold our legs and say, ah, I didn't live a bad life. We were made for more than just trying to say, ah, look at my children, they're doing well, look at me, we've got this house, I have this reputation, this number of Twitter follow uh, I, I, Instagram followers, I've done well for myself. Now they're calling me to come and give seminars. They're calling me on boards. Really? Is that it? Again, don't get me wrong, none of these things are bad. Like, ultimately, uh, uh, if you take them individually, none of these things are bad. I'm not disparaging our responsibilities towards our uh, personal goals, our familial goals, or our vocational goals. However, if your life's passion and effort ultimately revolve around these and how they make you better, you're not living as God's kingdom person. God wants us to live for him. God says you are called according to my purpose, right? If you're a Christian, not your purpose. And his purpose is always God-sized and it's always kingdom-shaped. In other words, why were you brought into the kingdom? You weren't brought into the kingdom to relax. You were brought into the kingdom so that you can now spread that kingdom. God didn't, you didn't, God didn't ask you to choose what is the best life that you would like to live. He says, let me show you what the best life for you to live is coming to my kingdom. Ah, this is what it is. He now says, so live for me. And then he said, well, Femi, what's, is it wrong for me to feel good about myself? No. Is it wrong for me to try and better myself? No. But if ultimately you are living for that, again, your whole kingdom is about some kind of comfort, some kind of self-betterment. That ultimately will lead to a miserable existence. You see, one of the things we find with Abraham here is that Abraham left his own comfort zone. Think about it. He left a place where... He had family. He left a place where he probably had an inheritance. And God then says, there's an inheritance I want to give you. But you won't get it in your lifetime. And you're like, what? He left his comfort zone because of something larger. His purpose was now going to be rooted in God's own agenda and also takes more than himself to accomplish. And you know, this is how it means, this is how we are called to live in the kingdom because how did we get into the kingdom? Well, we got into the kingdom by someone or through someone who sacrificed him, well, who first lived the life we couldn't live and then sacrificed himself to die the death that we should have died. 
Now, that same person in Luke 9, verse 23 says, uh, Luke 9, 23 and 24, then says, you know what it means to live in this kingdom? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, how many times? Daily. And follow me. And then he says this, you know, you are trying so much to save your life. You are trying so much to build a life for yourself. Ironically, if you continue to try to save your life, you will do what? But if you try to lose your life for his own sake, for his kingdom's sake, if you try to live for something more than yourself, ironically, the thing that you are trying to preserve, you would actually get a whole lot more. Abraham left because God called him for something bigger, a purpose greater than Abraham himself, and one that fitted in God's own agenda. Can I just say this? The call to see the city of Lagos renewed by the gospel, spiritually, socially, and culturally, by any human estimation, is bigger than any one of us. Amen? And yet, it's firmly rooted in God's own agenda. That's something you can live for. That's something we can follow in the footsteps of Abraham and say, you know what, maybe God is calling me to this purpose. Don't say, ah, I would like to see it in my own time. There was a king, uh, Hezekiah, um, who had some visitors from um, Babylon come to see him. So when they came to see him, he took them to the palace, he took them to the temple and showed them all the treasures that he had. Isaiah eventually came and said, where did those people come from? He said, oh, from a very distant land from Babylon. He then says, ah, you know all those treasures that you showed them? You know what's going to happen? Eventually, time is coming that they will take everything away. I'm kind of like, you know, at that point, you should be like, ah, man, this is really bad, though. Ah, now, wow. Then I said, you guys said, okay. No problem. You know why? Because it wasn't going to happen in his lifetime. And many times, this is the way we think. Purpose, purpose, yes. I want to see the thing that my hand will achieve. I want to see my name written on that place. I want to see my name on the billboard. God is saying that if you are trying to live for something you can achieve in your lifetime, it is self-centered, it is self-sized, and it is self-shaped. But if you want to live for the kingdom you've been brought into, Take up your cross, deny yourself, and, uh, deny yourself daily and live for Christ. That's a purpose worth living for. But that brings me to my second point. An identity beyond this life. Now, in the introduction I asked, I said this, the way we are meant to live is by faith. And I want to say that again, that in light of all of these things, how are we to live? For something that is larger and greater than us, we are meant to live by faith. But the life that we live is based on a certain identity that we should have. I'll say that again. The life that we live should flow out from an identity that we should have. And here's an identity I want us to adopt. Abraham shows us. Go back to verse 9. By faith, he lived, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations. What identity did Abraham have? I want to use three words to describe it, and, use, and listen very closely. 
Abraham was a temporary resident foreigner. Abraham was a temporary resident foreigner. What do I mean by that? Well, he was a foreigner. Look at verse 9. It says he lived in a foreign country. He was a stranger to a foreign country. So Abraham was a foreigner. But also he was a resident of that foreign country because it says he lived in tents or he made his home in that promised land. But he was also temporarily living there as a foreigner. Why? Because he said he was looking forward to another city. Do we understand? So Abraham was a what? A temporary resident foreigner. And that's the same identity if we are going to achieve this vision that we need to have, adopt. We are called to be what? Say it. Temporary resident foreigners. And then you say, all right, you are telling us to say all of these things. So what does it mean? All right, I'm glad you asked. You know, in this whole world, right, you often look at countries, and countries, certain countries are known for certain things, knowledge-wise. So if you think about um, the United Kingdom, they are very known for scientific, you know, scientific breakthroughs, right? A lot of Nobel uh, laureates have come from the universities in the UK. Um, if you go to the US, they are very, they're well known for um, um, their, their knowledge of finance and big finance and things like that. If you go to Germany, they are known for their knowledge of automobiles and manufacturing. Niger, what are we known for knowledge-wise? Well, let me tell you one thing we are champions in. It is the knowledge of visas and visa application. As in, if you, most people I talk to, you know, you talk to foreigners, most of them, they don't know anything. Nigerians, we know. Go to any Niger person, ah, you're going for this one, make sure you take um, a photograph, it's three photographs, 45 mm by, 40, no, that, ah, no, that other one, South Africa, 45 by 35. No, US 50, we know everything, all the documents. Is this three months or six months bank uh, statement? You know, we're so deeply entrenched in this. So I want to give you a little bit of an education in some visa, the visa process. If you want to live legally in a country, I want to stress the word legally there, uh, because we are talking to Nigerians. Um, <laughs> if you want to live legally in a country, right, there are about three, most places, I'm summarizing, but there are about three kinds of documents or status that you have to have. There are three types. One is that you can have what you call a passport. You know what the passport indicates? It indicates that you are a citizen of that country. You're not a foreigner. You can live there. You can do anything you want, citizen. If the second one we call ILR, and it's a visa, is in an indefinite leave to remain. What does that mean? It means that you are still a foreigner because you have a visa. Okay, You are still a foreigner. You are not a citizen. However, you have the right to live and work there for as long as you want. It is what? An indefinite leave to remain. Now, you still are denied certain privileges. In some countries, you will not be able to vote because you are not a citizen. And so many times, people with ILRs, people with indefinite leave to remain, even though they are in that country and they're able to do certain things, they always still feel like 
second-class citizens. You know why? Because they are. You're not, you can't really vote. There are certain things you can't do, even though you can be there to live and work. So you know what the goal of most people that have indefinite leave to remain is? You know what their goal is? To become a citizen, to naturalize. After you get the green card, you need to be able to, eh? to become a citizen. That's why you see all these old people nowadays. They have green card, but where's Auntie Kinney? She has gone to America again. What's the, what are you trying to do? They are trying to naturalize. The goal of people with indefinite leave to remain is usually to become a citizen. Then the third one, remember we're speaking legally here, is what you call a DLR or definite leave to remain. In other words, this one, yes, you also are, uh, you're, not, you're a foreigner because it's a visa. And you can live and work there, but however, you have certain restrictions. People that have these, usually you have a time frame. So they say, oh, we're going to give you a two-year visa because you have something you are trying to do there. So an example is people who are students, right? If you get a, st a student visa is a definite leave to remain. So, oh, when are you going to finish your studies? Well, God willing, with no carryover, I'll finish in three years. So they give you a three-year visa. But notice that people with these visas, as I said, they have a certain goal to accomplish. And when they accomplish that goal, hopefully, they return back to where they came from. Why? Because that goal was meant to serve a larger goal. So imagine you're a student. Why did you go abroad to study? Well, that wasn't your ultimate purpose, was it? When you went abroad to study, you wanted to get a degree so that when you come back, like Faust said, you can become a shaman. All right? Or, okay, shaman. When you come back, you can have a better life. In other words, the goal of having that visa and accomplishing whatever you wanted to accomplish there was a smaller goal that was serving a larger goal. Do we understand that? It was as though Abraham had a definite leave to remain. And in fact, the Bible, based on this passage, says, for us, that is exactly what we should have. Look at it in verse 13. Because he said, why are you here? In this in verse 13, all these people were, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were what? Foreigners and strangers where? Where? On earth. They were foreigners and strangers on earth. In other words, our time on earth and the purpose that God has given to us has a definite time because we have a larger purpose that we are looking forward to. He says, Abraham, though he was in this place, he was looking forward to what? Another city. The person who goes abroad is looking forward to something else, so they are doing the thing that they are currently there to do. Now, what? notice what it is not. When we think about Lagos and we say, ah, the kind of city I want Lagos to be. You know, some of us, we get into this 
Nostalgia. It's not nostalgia. You know why? Because nostalgia is looking back. You know how we say, ah! It was when Igbo started coming to Lagos. That's when everything started to spoil. But when Lagos was a Yoruba paradise, when Lagos was the Yoruba paradise, let me tell you, we didn't have Toyota cars. We didn't have Honda cars. Can everybody say thank God for Igbo people? Igbo kwenu. All right, we need more. We need more in this church. But you start to find out that ah, when back in the day, ah, everything has spoiled now. But in our own time, in other words, what are these people doing? They are looking backwards to a city. What Abraham was doing was not looking backwards. He was looking forward. Because if they were looking for a country that was before, what would have happened? They would have had the opportunity of going back. That's what verse 14 says. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. It is not something that was in the past. We are not going back. But neither is it fantasization or wishful thinking. Because, you see, the reason why some people go into nostalgia looking backwards is because of the frustrations of the, of the present and the uncertainty of the future. So let's look backwards. So some people then just, you know what? Why don't we just dream of the kind of place we want? How many of us like to you know, dwell in our imaginations? You just think, right? I remember when I was small, I used to dream. I used to love, I used to say, ah, you know, if Bill Cosby was my dad. <laughs> well, <laughs> now that seems like I'm happy that my own dad was my dad. Let's just put it that way. We just dream about, you know, so many things. But you know the thing about the things we dream about? We can't guarantee that it will happen. It's just wishful thinking. They say, if wishes were horses, then beggars were what? It's not nostalgia because we're not going back. But is this thing wishful thinking? Was Abraham just looking forward to something like, I'm tired of being a trend dealer. I would like to be a citizen, a place where a city where has, that has foundations, where I can put myself in. Was that just wishful thinking? No, it's not. And why can I tell you that it was not wishful thinking? Because it wasn't something Abraham just wished. It was something that God had promised. And this God that promised, why can we believe him? Because he's a God that also delivers. Look at verse 11. He is the promise-keeping God. Verse 11 and verse 12. Now, I need to say something. Verse 11, let's reread it. Now, if you are looking at your passage, it says something like this. And by faith, even... Uh, even Sarah, who was past uh, childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. I don't want to get into so much of the technicalities, but a better way, Sarah is not the person that really this thing is about. Because if you remember in Genesis, when God came to Sarah, she actually did not show faith. She really didn't believe. So a better way of translating this, especially because verse 12 goes back to Abraham when he says, and so from this one man, he as good as dead. So it's really talking about Abraham. So the better way of translating this is, and by faith, even though Sarah was past childbearing age, he was enabled to bear children because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. The word bear children there is actually for, for males. 
right? Not actually for females. So it's actually Abraham we are still talking about. By faith, even though Sarah was past childbearing age, he was enabled to bear children because he considered him faithful who had the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. Remember I said that you may not achieve certain things in your lifetime. But why is this God worth trusting? You know why? Even trusting beyond your lifetime because he's the God that still delivers in your lifetime. Abraham was promised something well beyond your, his lifetime. In you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How would I know this? I do not have a child. <laughs> and guess what? I have a servant. I, oh, is that for him? No, it's going to be your child. Oh, really? Okay. I have a housemaid, and he didn't even wait to hear from God. He went and impregnated the housemaid, and he said, no, not this. Why? Because at those points, I was thinking, I am so old, and my wife is so old. And God came back to meet him and said, despite the fact that your wife is 89, despite the fact that you are 99, with your own eyes, you will see your own child from Sarah. And what happened? One year after, Abraham, as good as dead. Why? Because he was 100. Can I just tell you that 100 people don't actually impregnate people? But Sarah passed the age of childbearing because she was 90. Can I say also the probability of a 100-year-old man impregnating a 90-year-old man is what? Impossible. But God did what? He delivered. They got the son of promise. He delivered on the promise in his lifetime. But also for us who are reading the Bible, by the time you get to 100 years, like a 1,000 years plus, in the time of Solomon, this promise of his, his descendants being as numerous, look at what he says in, verse, in 1 Kings 4, verse 20. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous. Remember, he promised him a nation. And he also promised him kings. Well, this is one king, under the, um, the rule of one king. The, promise, the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as what? On the seashore. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt, that land and beyond that land. These countries brought tributes and were Solomon's subject all his life. He delivered in their lifetime, and you should see that God actually delivered what he said he was going to deliver in Abraham. In other words, what am I saying? The reason why this isn't wishful thinking is because we can depend on the God who promised. He is a God who is utterly reliable. He is a God who is utterly faithful. He considered him faithful who had made the promise. Are you living for something beyond your life? Are you living for a God-sized and a kingdom-shaped vision, even though you may not achieve it in your lifetime Depend on this God. That is worth living for. But I must end with this. And bring this to my third point. A city for the afterlife. Why did Abraham look forward to another city? And why should we? Why is it worth looking forward to? Say look forward to another city. The reason is this. And this is almost going to be counterproductive to every, everything I said, not just today, but in the entire series. No matter how well you imagine 
Lagos, the Lagos of your dreams to be. And no matter how much we can achieve that, let's say the Lagos of your dreams right now can be achieved in your lifetime. No matter how much, it will never fulfill our greatest longings. Never. Our desire to see things better, our groanings for the improvement, needs, means that we need more. That's what we're saying. Oh, I'd like to see things better. I'd like to see... Oh, that means you want to see more in Lagos. I'd like to see better roads. I hate going to the, to, to the, um, to the mechanic. I hate going to uh, uh, calling the carpenter that doesn't come on time. I hate calling my uh, uh, internet service provider. I just want to see things work. That means you need more. That's what you're saying with all of these things. But guess what? I have friends all over the world, in some of the greatest cities in the world. I have friends in Dubai. I have friends in, in Vienna. I have friends in uh, Melbourne. I have friends, tell me another city, New York, San Francisco, eh? some other, eh? Singapore. No, Ilori, I don't know anybody from there. Um, um, uh, and then I am from Ijebu Day again, right? So I'm talking about th those greatest cities in the world. Every time I speak to any of them about their city, do you know what they tell me? Nobody ever says, Ah, my city, finally. That this city is the paradise on earth. Do you know what they're always saying? We need more. No matter how much you try, the longings of our heart, what we are looking forward to, no city here can really fulfill it because our desires are whole much more than that. What is this more that we are looking for? We even see it in our artists, that right. I'll tell you what this more is about. Talking about another scandalous person I spoke about because we let's just bring in our Kelly. Our Kelly sang a song about the city that we were looking for years ago. Now, in the, in the opening lines, he bemoans the complexity of good and evil that exists in our cities today. I'm looking over the skyline, positive of the city. How like quiet nights in the midst of crime. Skyline and crime together. How next door to happiness lives sorrow, happiness and sorrow together, and signals of solution in that sky. Don't start singing. <laughs> that is the current state that we have, and it is in all cities of the world. No matter the governors you have, the mayors you have, no matter how things work, we are still looking for more. Why? Because there's always something that is mixed, good and evil together, the bad and the good together. And so he then says, look at the city we are looking for. What is that city? It is a city of justice, a city of love, a city of peace for every one of us. You know why our cravings still keep coming? Because we all need that city, not just one. We need it. We can't live without it. And he tells us what the name of the city is. It's Gotham. <laughs> Gotham City is what we're looking for. But you know the funny thing about it is that if you read the Batman comics, sorry if you are not into comics, uh, right? For people like us that are comic collectors, no, it's a lie. I've never read, I just watched them. But if you read the Batman comics, right? Batman is in a city called Gotham City. And Gotham City is anything but perfect. Because if it was perfect, you wouldn't need Batman. No, Gotham City is not the city we are looking for. Then you remember, you may start saying, well, are you sure this thing exists? 
Are you sure this thing exists? It's not wishful thinking. This is my desire to see something perfect. Can we just be real? Can we just be real? It doesn't exist. It can't be, this longing cannot be fulfilled. Well, C.S. Lewis says this. If you see a child that is hungry and is crying, you know what that means? It means that there is something like food to satisfy that hunger. If you see somebody, if you have sexual desires in you, you know what that means? There is something like sex to meet that desire. If you are thirsty, that means that there is something like drink to meet that desire. And then he says this, if we find in ourselves if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable answer or the most probable expectation is this, that we were made for another world. It's not to say that the answer isn't here. It's to say that if I can't find it, we are made for another world. If we are longing for a city that haven't traveled to this other one and migrated to this other one and migrated to this other one and you find that your desires cannot be met, maybe it is because we are looking for a city that is not of this world. And that is exactly what Abraham was looking for. The American novelist Carson McCullough says, we are homesick most for the places we have never known. So guys, guess what? You are made for more. You need a city that can take your greatest longings. But you can bring that city. We need God to make that city. We need God to prepare that city. He was looking forward to the city who, with foundations, whose architect and builder was who? Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We need a better one, but it's not of this world because it is a heavenly one. Verse 16, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. What we are looking for is not Gotham. What we are looking for is the heavenly Jerusalem. Later in Hebrews 12, verse 2, uh, Hebrews 12, verse 22, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And guess what, guys? This is not wishful thinking because God himself has promised it. In Revelation 21, at the end of all time, John sees something that God has promised. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and then after what? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, not because they had changed all the buildings in Jerusalem that is in Palestine right now. Sorry, I should have said that. Jerusalem that is in the Middle East right now. But because this Jerusalem doesn't exist here, it was coming down out of heaven from who? From God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place now is among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and their God. He will wipe away every tear. This city brings tears to you. But God has said, In the new Jerusalem, there shall be no more tears. There shall be no more sorrow. There shall be no more crying, mourning, or pain. Ultimately, this city will ensure that there will be no more death again. That's the city we are looking for. 
This is the city of justice. This is the city of love. This is the city of peace that all of us need. But then you say, what does that have to then do with Lagos? What does this one, this city of total flourishing, total bliss, all our longings and desires fulfilled, what does that have to do with Lagos? Listen to me. God hasn't promised us a new Lagos, but a new Jerusalem. But because there is going to be a new Jerusalem, we can, by faith, work for a renewed Lagos. Don't forget, Jerusalem is our ultimate goal. We are trying to get citizenship in Jerusalem. But for now, in Lagos, we have a DLR. And what do you do with your DLR? You know that you have a goal to accomplish now to serve a larger purpose. Our goal to accomplish now is to see this city renewed because we have a city that we are looking forward to that shall make all things new. Your ultimate goal is to be a citizen of that, that city. Then what about the city you have now? It is because we are looking forward to that city. Because of this truth, by faith, we decide to love Lagos. By faith, we will decide to remain in Lagos. By faith, we will work to renew and transform Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. When we live by this kind of faith, God isn't ashamed to be called our God. I'll end with this. Abraham didn't receive this in his lifetime. He looked forward to it. And neither may any of us receive it in our own lifetime. But here's what God has promised. At the end of Hebrews chapter 11, 39 to 40, he promised this, that the reason they didn't receive it and the reason why many of us will not receive it is God has ensured that all of us will receive it together. All these heroes of faith were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. He didn't receive it in his lifetime. We may not, but he's guaranteed we'll receive it. And what? how do we know that this thing can be guaranteed? you know why? Because Jesus is coming back again. One way we can just summarize the gospel is this. Jesus is coming back. All the pains, all the sorrows, all the travails, all the frustrations that we see. Jesus comes and gives us the thing that we are looking for in the new Jerusalem. It's because Jesus died, because Jesus rose again, but because Jesus is returning that the things that we want most, the things that we desire most, can be fulfilled. And if we are those people who believe that, then let us, by that same faith in the God who has promised, work to see that this city is renewed spiritually, socially, and culturally by the gospel of Christ. Let us pray. for listening to the gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.